Welcome to GSO in the Know, a podcast focused on having conversations about the issues that matter most to the people of Greensboro and Guilford County. We're starting off our show with a series of interviews from local organizers in the community about our election and what is at stake locally this November. Today we have an interview with Casey Thomas, the development manager over at People's Action and a member of the steering committee for Guilford for All. We talk with Casey about the work Guilford for All is doing to flip seats in several county commissioner races and why winning those seats is important for change and how we fund our schools, local public health, housing, and even how we fund offices like our sheriff's department here in Guilford County. But before we get into that, we just want to give a little background about who we are and why we have started this podcast. I say we, you've only heard from me. My name's Terrell Dungy, and I'm also here with my lovely co-host. Emily Rucker. <laughs> and who are we, Emily? What, is, what has brought us to this mad, mad work? You want me to go first? Yeah, I, li- I like to see you sweat. I'm not going to lie. Well, I am a... Um coach and I have coached at the collegiate level and with the pandemic and when um when George Floyd was was murdered just made me realize how much we have let um the future generation down and it it made me realize how much we've we've failed the current generation and and that something needed to be done and then I met you and we just started talking about uh, how we have similar thoughts on on sort of things that need to be done, and also personally, I there's a lot that I don't know, and so I wanted to find a way to learn more, and that's sort of how this came about. Yeah, we both were kind of activated around the same time. Like I, I am of course aware of all, uh, a little bit more aware of the inequalities in America being a black man moving through the world, but I really just kind of woke up to how much, how very little I should say was being done to try to, you know, rectify some of the issues that we have in our society. And the murder of George Floyd was a boiling point for a lot of Americans. And yeah, after that, I found myself like marching in the streets, trying to understand not just the injustice that George Floyd went through, but also the injustice that Marcus Smith went through in our own community. That story I didn't even hear of that is um, very similar to the story of George Floyd and his mother has been fighting for almost two years now for justice. And, And even the city of, like our progressive city of Greensboro is still having issues with confronting racism and uh, police brutality. So that really kind of brought me to more organizing work. I would go to like these summer uh, events online because pandemic. And then that led to helping out putting together neighborhood teams to reach other voters in the community and kind of build our people power, which is something uh, we both kind of learned from Guilford for All. And that's where me and Emily met, actually, uh, just doing... Uh, doing and setting up a neighborhood team for our, uh, our local area. And then this is essentially the brainchild of Emily 
And I have a terrible time saying no. So <laughs> that's how <laughs> I got roped into this. But um, but also like seeing the power that podcasts can have by reaching like broad audiences and educating us in such a way that honestly is really ne- necessary in this moment. So that's why we're doing GSO in the know, keeping us all in the loop on the things that we tend to miss while we scream at our uh, national news. Yeah, 100%. I feel like it's very easy to follow the national politics, but locally, I always, it's just hard. I always miss things. So, yeah, we're finding out like, I mean, me personally, I didn't know anything about some of the races that we've been helping in with uh, getting uh, voter engagement, like the county commissioner's race and what that really affects until I started doing this work. And I'm like, wow, like the even my friends I talk to, like they don't really understand the gravity of these uh, seats on our lives that we haven't even, we never discuss. So yeah, we wanted to start this to kind of help that discussion along. That's a little bit about us, but we're, I think we're ready to dive on in our interview with Casey Thomas. Talk a little people power, talk about more about these county commissioner races and what we can do this November to make sure that we get more progressives in these seats so we can start seeing real change in our communities. So let's go. Well, so we have with us the development manager of People's Action and the steering committee um, a leader, or are you just a member? I want to get that right. I'm a member of the steering committee. Member of the steering committee, Casey Thomas. Thank you for sitting down with us. For Guilford for, Guilford for All. For Guilford for All. Thank you for correcting me and sitting down with us. <laughs> no, we got to get those name plugs. That's why we're doing this work. Yeah. So I'm going to let Emily take over the start of our interview. Casey, can you tell us a little bit about yourself and what you're doing in the community? Yeah. um, I live here in Greensboro and have been here ever since 2006 when I came for um, undergrad at Guilford College. And I just decided to make this my home. I grew up moving around, foreign service kid. Um, my dad's family is from the South and then New York. My mother's family is from the Caribbean and then New York. Um, and I grew up in Northern Virginia, Zimbabwe, India, Bangladesh, and, um, have decided to make Greensboro my home. Um, but I, yeah. That's awesome. Where was your favorite place growing up? You know, I was really the right age for every post that I was in. I really loved all the places that I was in. Um, Stafford County, Virginia, when we moved back to um, a place a little further south in Virginia than where I'd grown up in Dale City, um, was a bit of a rough adjustment because I was a senior and we moved there. And it was my first time in an area where I learned that my parents weren't hallucinating, that you really do need to work twice as hard um, as a black person to be able to get half as much Um, that like systemic racism is real. The school guidance counselor will tell you that she doesn't think that you're college material um, because you have a 3.4, that kind of thing. 
I was like, oh, wow. So it wasn't my favorite. (laughs) It wasn't my favorite place, but I'm grateful that I experienced it. Wow. That's a very wise way to look at it. You're the right age for each place you looked at, uh, worked or lived in, I should say. So can you tell us a little bit how you got involved with both People's Action and Guilford for All? Yeah. Um, People's Action is where I work um, professionally. And I came to be involved with them about maybe four years ago. And I really loved their values and what they stood for. And when I heard about um, how they believe that we need to fight the battle of big ideas, but also really build people power to be able to um, to take down the systems that impact all of us, I really decided that like, yeah, this is where I want to work. Um, and these are my folks. And I just really love the idea of a network that is spread out across the country that has community groups all over the place fighting for the same things, sometimes different issue fights, um, but that are weaving together to be able to move a cohesive strategy around these things at the national level. And so is the Carolina's Federation, is that fall under people's action? No, no. Carolina Federation is independent. Um, Guilford for All is what I do here in Greensboro and Guilford County um, as a volunteer and uh, um, just a resident of Guilford County. Okay, awesome. And and as part of Guilford for All, you're working to elect more progressive people. Can you talk to us about that initiative? Yeah. Um, so Guilford for All is uh, about building grassroots people power, but we are really focused on doing that through governance. We want to make sure that we're not just always outside marching, petitioning, begging people who are just diametrically opposed to the things that we hold dear um, to do something, just give us a little bit. Instead, we want to put our own folks in there and we want to make sure that they're not only just people who come out of our movement and who are aligned with us, but people who are going to be working with us in a co-governance strategy. And so uh, right now we have the first crop of people who, um, because it's a general election, they aren't folks who we decided to run from the inside. That's something that'll come later. But people who we looked at with the county commission and said, you know what, we've got a real opportunity to be able to flip the county commission and make it a lot more aligned with the kinds of things that we'd like to see. Um, especially around schools. The county commission is basically the only body that can fund school buildings um, and that really does like school technology, infrastructure, that kind of thing. And they provide like 30% of the school budget. They can also supplement um, staff wages and things like that. Um, And right now you've got four tiny Trumps and a lady who votes with them um, on the commission making up a majority. So if we can flip just one of these seats, we will be in a much better position. But if we can flip all three, we will be able to really move some stuff. That's awesome. That's a, such a good segue for um, Terrell's about to, to take over. But before he does, can you expand a little bit on co-governance? Yeah. So basically co-governance is the idea that 
we should be governing with the people who we put in office. That we don't just want to find someone who sounds nice or who even genuinely has our ideals and um, desires when they go into office and then just send them up there to do their thing, check in with them two to four years later and, and evaluate. We don't think that that's a very useful model at all. Instead, what we want to do is have a shared agenda that we wind up working with them on so that we can move forward and govern together. Um, we want to put up movement candidates that are working in conjunction with the communities that get them elected. Um, and that can look like having meetings with our membership um, to be able to talk about um, certain votes that are coming up, to be able to um, take up initiatives that our folks put forward. Um, we want to run people from a variety of backgrounds. It's Guilford for all. But we also want to make sure that whether that is running people for office or just having people have decision-making power over what certain policies and programs look like, someone who is struggling to take care of paying rent right now should be at the table when county commission is deciding what rent relief program looks like or how much money is even appropriate for that. Someone who's struggling um, with childcare should have the kind of say over any kind of childcare initiatives that happen um, at the county level or city level or, or even state level. So that's what we are working towards. Love to hear it. That's I love the the idea of co-governance. It you know is literally what democracy should be. Yeah, uh, <laughs> yeah. We talked about how Guilford for All is focusing on those county commissioner seats here in Gifford County. Um, can you? You already kind of touched a lot on this, but can you talk more about those county commissioner races, what they kind of look like right now and what that will look like for people in Gifford County if we flip those seats and get that co-governance going? Yeah. Um, so you have District 5 with Carly Cook, and she is running against Troy Lawson, and neither of them are an incumbent. But she is the person who we have endorsed for that race. And she's really interested in fixing the schools, um, especially repairing the school buildings and making sure that kids aren't learning in a place that has mold, that has um, vent like poor ventilation, um, making sure that you have safe environments for people to work in. One of the issues that we heard earlier when the teachers and staff were advocating for the school bond to be significantly larger than it was, was that you had cafeteria workers who are passing out from the heat um, because they just didn't have adequate cooling and ventilation. You had teachers who were getting lung illnesses because they were in places with mold. Students who um, were getting sick as well and like pneumonia and things like that. Um, and so that's something that Carly Cook has said that she is really strong on. And also Mary Beth Shore Murphy and um, also James Upchurch. They're all very big on that. I know James Upchurch said that he was really interested in running around transportation issues and increasing access to public transportation. And the county commission is a place where you can do that. Um, Mary Beth Shore Murphy is someone who was a teacher, was an educator. And like 
really deeply understands what it means not to have the kind of investment in our schools that we need. Yeah, that is so wild. They are passing out in their on on their job and getting sick because they don't have enough money to take care of their buildings. Yeah, it was another thing that's at stake with the county commission races. Um, and I'm not clear that anyone's taken any public positions on this yet, but um, it's important to know that the county commission controls the sheriff's budget. The sheriff is an elected position by itself, but how much money the sheriff gets to be able to do different things is something that the county commission controls. So a county commission could put forward money for an anti-recidivism program that the sheriff would be able to impact to keep people from returning to prison. So people would be able to get assistance with housing, um, with finding jobs, support coming out of prison to keep people from falling back into the system. Um, that's something the county commission would have the power to fund. The county commission also um, deals with our public health services. Um, right now, the public health is like a really huge thing that you want to invest in. I mean, we're in the middle of a pandemic. Yeah, that sounds smart. What is, you said anti-recidivism? Yes. Um, recidivism is the rate at which people return. Okay. So someone returning to prison again and again, and I, they would be able to impact that. Cool. Thank you. Do we know like our recidivism rate here in Guilford County? I do I not. They really don't publish a whole lot of data. That's another thing that the County Commission would be able to like keep track of if they wished. Yes, I, I've noticed that as well, trying to learn more about some of these seats and some of the procedures that are done. There are not enough numbers or like any kind of recording of this information for people to look at. So, I mean, again, all sounding like great reasons to support these candidates in this upcoming election. Yeah. But uh, I just want to like switch directions real quick and kind of want to ask you about your role in this work and how does that, how do you, what role do you play in this work? I should ask as a member of the steering committee for Guilford for all. Well, with the steering committee, the role that I play most is working on membership and membership development. And what that is looking like right now is doing trainings and orientations to bring in our members and make sure that people are aligned on what it is that we believe and how we understand the world, um, get a basic overview of grassroots um, community organizing and how we plan to build. And uh, then there's a third part of our orientation where we basically go over how we'd like us to commit to um, not breaking the movement by being jerks to ourselves and other people. Um, so a piece on how we lead. And um, this is something that we're working on right now. We've had about maybe 40 people go through that orientation um, or the first part of it. And it's going to be ongoing. So like new folks who are coming in, will be able to do that. But also building out a team that will be able to keep checking in with people um, once they become involved so that we can stay connected to our membership. Because I mean, yeah, it's difficult to reach out to the community right now 
But in COVID, we're launching a community organization in a time where you can't just get everybody together in one room. And so we're trying to find ways to build a a shared group identity and for people to be able to get to know other people who are plugged into Guilford for All um, so that they're not just relating to the organization through us or through their specific volunteer activities, but we want to foster people building strong relationships with each other. Key thing for that people power. Yeah, that's... That's great. And you guys have, I don't know if you can talk about this a bit, but like since the uprising, it seems like you've started to really like take off. Yeah. I mean, I think a lot of people saw like, oh my gosh, systemic racism still here. Just straight up racism that everybody thinks about is still here. Um, And that people felt called to try to do something about it. And I think that that's also a testament to movement power, right? that there was a moment where you had public officials who made careers out of hedging their bets and still do. They reverted to that afterwards. Um, But there was a good moment where a lot of public officials felt the need to say Black Lives Matter. And like, it's strange to me to have that come out of my mouth, to have that it it is remarkable that our mayor would have to finally acknowledge that Black people's lives matter. Um, but this is not a controversial thing to say um, anymore, but it's kind of been mainstreamed. Um, but like, yeah, that's something that I think that that moment produced. But it's also just the history of, of movement work um, that made that moment when that uprising happened stronger. It didn't just happen by itself. There's infrastructure there. There's... Um, the momentum that had been generated before. Um, And so we're about building that machine. We know that there's always going to be a moment of excitement where people are like, yes, I must do something. And we want to provide infrastructure for people to plug in. But we're also like, okay, when things aren't popping, um, when everyone's Instagram feed isn't full of social justice, this, that, and the other, um, we want people to be able to have a political home where folks can just plug in and be part of this movement machine um, steadily, always to be building. Yes. I love to see it. Um, I I mean, personally, I'm someone who was kind of activated by the uprising. I finding you guys pretty much right at the beginning really helped to put myself on like a good path of activism that is like, real action steps I can do in my community. Like you guys helped us and like a, uh, other groups of people write letters to our mayors about uh, policies and mandates that we're trying to pass in our city and just seeing how they didn't listen. Like, I'm just going to clarify <laughs> the rent cassette thing. Uh, you can look about, look it up, but uh, that did not go the way we wanted it to, but just having that power, or knowing that you have that power to reach out to them and let your voice be heard was just like a great experience. And knowing that we can actually do something when they don't listen, like vote them out of their office, kick them out of their job that we are paying them for. Yeah. So absolutely. That is something that 
I think means a lot that there are so many people who weren't just willing to like post something on Facebook, but who were like, no, I'm going to write letters to my council people. Um, people signed petitions again and again. Um, any council person who told you um, or told the media or said in a meeting that they did not get an explicit policy breakdown um, of how written consent would work. Um, that they did not get information about statistics from other cities that had implemented it um, is just not being truthful with you. Because over like 5,000 people um, sent an um, initial petition message to them and then over 600 people sent them an email with like specific policy information. Um, and there's so many people for whom... Um, I think that this is an eye opener to uh, like, it's very different. And that's part of grassroots organizing, right? It's one thing if you're an advocate and you're constantly talking to council people and going back to your folks and saying, this is what they said. They wasted our time. They lied. They weren't being truthful. It's what organizing is about is bringing those folks who are impacted by it, bringing folks who are in solidarity with folks who are impacted by it to council people themselves, have them write letters, have them raise their voices and have council people lie to their faces and waste their time um, and see how that goes. That kind of experience really can activate people. Yeah, asking for help and being refused really lets you like understand, oh, you're not in this office to help me. Got it. Yeah. So um, I wanted you to talk about, you know, organizing during COVID. I was going to ask, what are some of the challenges that you're facing when trying to like organize folks uh, or like you have initiatives where you're trying to reach voters right now? Like what are the challenges being brought up due to COVID right now? Yeah. Um, well, one of the challenges that, COVID presents, in addition to not having as many people going door to door, although we do have people who are going door to door, wearing a mask and standing six feet back. Um, it's kind of a knock and jump back situation. Um, but we do have people going door to door. But I think there would be many more who are willing to go door to door if it weren't for um, COVID. But I also think that going back to having shared spaces where people could come together across lines of difference to be able to connect with one another and to be able to feel like they're part of something bigger than just getting these people elected right now. I think that's something that we strive to communicate and that we do communicate with people, but just not being able to have, hey, we're having a Guilford for All potluck and like uh, all of our volunteers are coming to this um, after our door knocking session. We can't do that right now so that people can get to know each other and whatnot. We can't um, have different neighborhood meetings in people's homes or, or and whatnot. Like it's just not available for us right now. Um, and so that's difficult. Um, text banking is something that we do a lot and it has been very useful. But I will say that there are certainly a lot of folks who have also discovered text banking in this moment. And so people are getting a lot of texts. Um, and in March, it was a really useful way to be able to connect with folks um, just around COVID, not around voting, 
but to ask what people wanted to see from their county commissioners and local government um, to respond to COVID. Um, and there was a relatively high response there, but for voting, um, I'll say that like, it can be a bit of a challenge. I wonder if it will um, help long-term that you have now this infrastructure to do stuff remote, if it'll be easier for people once things do go back to normal to stay plugged in because they don't have to go across town to a meeting or they can go to a meeting while they're helping with the homework and getting ready for the next day and stuff like that maybe yeah it might be good for in the in the future long term it it could be beneficial even though right now it's it's kind of terrible I think it could be for a lot of people, especially with really hectic schedules and kids and things like that. Um, although when we were meeting in person, the steering committee um, and a couple folks back in the fall um, of last year who um, were helping to form Guilford for All, we did have childcare. And I'm sure if we um, that, like ever get out of COVID um, and are meeting in person, we'll have childcare there for people. But Another challenge we find is that bringing together people who are comfortable on the internet, who are who use Zoom regularly, um, who find out about things via Facebook event, um, you can get those folks. But it can be difficult to get folks whose internet may have been cut off um, or whose phones are frequently cut off. Um, and maybe they can only get something by internet, but certainly not enough to be able to do a Zoom call um, for extended periods of time. Um, and I think that one of the things that we're going to have to figure out is how to build a sense of group cohesion that doesn't feel stratified by that digital divide. Yeah, I'm one of those people that live on the internet and I've loved this like setup, but like you pointing that out, that does make this divide because the internet is a utility whether we you know act like it is or not and a lot of people do not have access to it yeah. so that is a large portion of the people that are we're missing from the conversation yeah um, i was gonna say like what are you you talked about a lot of those challenges like how are you and your team adapting to those to continue building that people power well i mean we have a base building team that is uh, working with um, Siembra and the Good Neighbor Movement and uh, is doing different like community socially distant um, meetings in different neighborhoods. Um, there was someone who had a gathering in their backyard for a few people to be able to distribute information about resources. There was some um, canvassing outside the Walmart and Terrell, you were there for that one. Yes. Um, and uh, so that kind of thing is going on, but um, we're going to have to figure out how to be really intentional about figuring out how to, how to bridge those. I think that's where you guys come in um, as like folks who are members or volunteers to help us sort that out. Cause that's some stuff that we're going to have to be able to bridge Absolutely. What are some action steps people can take right now to help if they want to make sure that we flip these seats in November and get uh, these progressive candidates for county commissioner uh, nominated? Um, go door knocking. 
um, <laughs> so that we can win some of these elections. Um, here, I will put this in the chat, but if you go to mobilize.us slash Carolina Federation, um, you'll be able to see all the opportunities to go door knocking, phone banking, text banking, um, doing distributing literature on election day. Um, all of those things are things that it's going to be like really critical for us to be able to do. Um, but if people could do one thing, I would say sign up and get in where you can. Um, phone banking is really good if you are someone who is not able to be there in person, um, but wants to be able to have conversations with voters. And it's tough, right? I mean, you've been called by strangers on the phone before, right? So everybody isn't necessarily going to pick up, but you will be able to talk to usually on average around 10 voters per shift. Um, and that those conversations really do help remind people that there is an election and it matters on the local level too. Everybody knows about the national the national election, but often people will leave the county commissioner blank or worse, just go with a name that they have heard somewhere without knowing anything about that person. Yeah, I as someone who does like part-time phone banking now can confirm uh, you will get hung up on a lot. But a lot of these connections, a lot of people are very appreciative when you call and like have these conversations about these people. Because like you said, they typically are in the mindset or either they're voting straight down the ticket without really knowing what that person's agenda is, or they're just listening for a name that they've heard or seen on TV. And that sometimes can not always be a vote for or in their favor. If you could ask people to do one thing this week, what would it be? This week, sign up to phone bank. Um, next week, I would say sign up to door knock. Your project you're working on with persuasion calling and trying to really push on a district four for county commissioner. Can you speak on that a little bit more? Yeah. Um, we want Mary Beth Murphy in and we want Alan Branson out. Um, he is messing around with your money. The federal government, through the CARES Act, sent Guilford County $93 million for aid to Guilford County. Um, we petitioned to have a third of that go to housing, rental assistance. Um, because back then, before the CDC put out a moratorium, which isn't really a moratorium, but that if you fill out this paperwork and show it to your landlord, um, they are not allowed to evict you until after um, December 31st. But with that moratorium, people still owe rent, right? Like it's all going to come due in January. So really the more help that people who are struggling in this economy right now can get for rent, the better. Um, we don't want people having thousands of dollars to pay in December. Um, unless you're Alan Branson, who looked at those folks and said, tough luck. Um, we asked for 31 million and they decided to give about, um, not even 5%. I think it may have been just about 5% of the whole budget, the whole 93 million to any kind of aid work at all. Like 
any Ooh. of it. Nonprofits. So that's housing, food, whatever. They and they're decided, all fighting over 5% of that money. They decided to give $26 million um, and <laughs> to um, their local businesses, which sounds nice, right? Because, I mean, we want to support local businesses. But it's businesses making up to a million dollars in revenue. Um, they didn't want to cap it. And um, his buddy, Justin Conrad, was very um, insistent that they didn't, they didn't want to cap that there. Um, if you watch the footage of that meeting, it's like, Jesus, Justin, shh, we'll, give you, we'll cut you a check. Chill. Um, but he was real insistent that it go. So then um, <laughs> they decided they were going to give this money to these businesses that make up to a million dollars a year in revenue. And uh, they don't have to use the money for salaries to pay people. This isn't just to keep people employed. Um, and they can just use it to pay their rent, their utilities, whatever expenses they have. And it. Not their expenses specifically, but for like the, the properties that they're owning. Correct. What the business expenses that they, that they have incurred. Um, and not just that, they said that you must have a commercial location. So that's something that leaves out shade tree mechanics, that leaves out people who braid hair, that leaves out a lot of people who maybe contractors who um, take care of people's children. So a lot of businesses owned by people who look like us is what they decided to. And when you say us, you mean black and brown people. Yes. Um, So when they say that they're trying to do this for businesses to help the local economy, it fell very flat with us because while we support um, local entrepreneurs, everybody needs to be able to pay rent, right? And people who are most impacted by this current crisis should be able to do that. Having a bunch of people become homeless is going to tank our local economy. Um, that will not be good for any of us. I mean, for people who um, love money, you but, think they would understand that part. <laughs> yeah. Um, and Alan Branson was really strong on that um, and just has not been very helpful to like people who are struggling right now. And like you think about how like with some of the desperate situations people are in right now and how bad it's going to be in winter and that these people just wasted that money. Um, It's just so critical that we're able to get Mary Beth Shore Murphy in there. Absolutely. I, I have been canvassing for Mary Beth Murphy, but I didn't really know much about Alan Branson. Knowing all of that now, I am more fired up to help her get across this finish line once i watched a county commission meeting a few years ago this was before i was really following local politics very closely i happened upon it accidentally i was looking for another meeting but we saw it and said why not watch and alan branson um told somebody who was testing the water to make sure that building sites weren't polluting our local water. 
um, and we're maintaining certain standards. And he was saying, look, I can't meet all of our needs with the staff that you've given me and the budget that you've given me. We need um, more staff to be able to do this. And he treated this man like he was some kid looking for allowance um, and was like, well, how about we give you one? And if you do well with that, we'll see about giving you more next year. And I'm like, this, this is our water. This is a serious issue. This impacts all of us. This is our drinking water. This isn't some toy he wanted. Yeah, a basic necessity that we should be taken care of. But yeah <laughs> that is hilarious you do good with one yeah um yeah folks vote these people out sounds like uh sounds like bad news for us <laughs> so yeah. I, I know the world is crazy and i know the work you're doing is probably even more hectic right now with covid and then you know last night's debate we have a lot of things that are stressing us out in this world <laughs> So I was going to ask, what are some things that you do for self-care to kind of keep yourself ground and resilient? Well, um, I need to be doing more of those things. Um, But when I can, I I read some fiction. Um, I notice that my life is always better when I am in the middle of reading a good fiction book. Um, You've got to have some sort of escape that's not just this. And so there's that. And I also read something, I'm not sure who said it, um, but I felt very targeted, very attacked when I read this thing that said, self-care isn't all bubble baths and chocolates. It's building a life that you don't have to escape from. Oof, that and, is real. Because <laughs> like, <laughs> ouch. <laughs> well, um. I think that one of the things that um, helps me take care of myself is also just like taking walks and listening to podcasts and some like books on tape. Um, I think that that can be helpful. Um, Another thing that can be helpful, I think, for self-care for me is organizing and like uh, not just seeing all of these crazy things alone and feeling like there's nothing that I can do about this, that I just have to sit here um, scrolling at things on the internet and like uh, just um, comforting myself um, by like uh, escaping all the time, but that you are able to actually get together and do something to change what's going on. Um, I think that like building power with people like you all um, is really some of the best self-care that I can have. This does not feel so alone in this crazy, crazy world that is 2020. Casey, thank you so much for sitting down and putting that wisdom on us. Um, yeah, <laughs> I'm definitely gonna have to check into that whole like making a self care like a lifestyle thing because like you, I felt attacked. <laughs> Probably need to work on that. <laughs> <laughs> but thank you for your time. Yeah, thanks for having me. Wow, Emily, that was quite a interview. I feel like I've learned so much in just 40 minutes. Yeah. Definitely. 
what are what is something that you're walking away from that interview learning or going to learn more about yeah i really want to learn more about recidivism um i did a little bit of googling and i actually i can't find the rates for guilford county um and i also want to learn more about the uh more details about the budget breakdown i mean 93 million in covid relief is is just so much money and it seems like the 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 way it was divided is is just a little questionable very very questionable a lot of things seemed very questionable about uh some things we discussed in this interview um I'm definitely wanting to see more co-governance or I guess understanding why we're not having more of that modeled in our uh, government. Um, but I, I'm, I'm all about this people power. Like I said in the beginning, I've learned so much about it over the last months. And honestly, folks, that's really how we're going to see the change that we've been marching for is making sure that we take our power to our government vote for the people that will listen to us and the people that are not, we vote them out. Like we are paying them to do a service for us. If they're doing a terrible job, it's time for them to go. So um, like Casey said, there are some action steps we all can take right now. If you go to mobilize.us slash Carolina Federation, you can sign up for a phone banking shift or a text banking shift where you can, reach out to folks across Guilford County and get more people engaged in the election coming up and let them know what's at stake for you as well. Um, you can also learn more about KC and Guilford for All by following them on social media. Uh, you can follow Guilford for All on Facebook or G for, or is it Guilford for the number four all on Instagram? Yes. Yes. Awesome. And you can also learn more about the Carolina Federation in Guilford for All at carolinafederation.org slash Guilford for All. And we'll put all this in the show notes, too. Yeah, we got you. We'll make sure you stay in the know. Thanks for joining us, folks. We love to hear from you. And if you have any questions or you want to share what you've learned from this episode today... Or you just have some topics in mind that you want to hear discussed on later episodes, reach out to us at gso in the know at gmail.com. That's the letter G S O I N T H E N N K N O W at gmail.com. Um, but yeah, I've been, I am Terrell Dungy. I'm Emily Record. And this is how we keep GSO in the know. <laughs> <laughs>